This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here, as we always do. And how are you doing, Rich? How are your holidays? My holidays have been great. Um, I went to Dallas with my wife's family to visit uh, her nieces and see their grandparents. And, uh, it's been lovely. It's been lovely. So I don't know. I, for some reason, all these losses, and there have been many for the Kings, they're really not bothering me. But uh, how, was your, how was your Christmas? It was, it was standard. You know, it's nice to see the family, but I had a lot of traveling going on myself on Christmas Day, a lot of driving, so... That was a little much, but overall, just kind of nice to see everybody, you know, and and if we're talking kinks here, I mean, yes, the team has now lost seven in a row, but they don't feel terrible, all of them. Some of them obviously feel worse than others, like Minnesota and Phoenix, two teams that were on some big losing streaks, but, you know, the most recent game, and we'll kind of go through each of these a little bit. The most recent one against Denver, I thought they had some pretty good fight for the second night of a back-to-back against what is one of the better defensive teams in the league. Yeah, um, I mean, if you want to go into the whole moral victories thing, you can look at the second night of a back-to-back in Denver, five-point loss as a moral victory, but it doesn't matter to me. Uh, I think they look bad. I think the team looks bad. seven straight losses and then if you want to go back the last win was at golden state that you and i didn't even feel like they played well i think it was 29 turnovers right and then before that was the loss uh at home against the knicks so we're looking at pretty much a stretch of nine games where we haven't felt like we've seen anything truly categorically good yeah, I think that's totally fair. And I mean, part of it, I think Sacramento's not shooting the ball well, but it definitely can't all go towards that. And I, I think really working back in Fox and Bagley has proven to be more of a struggle than what we would expect, especially since these guys had missed so long. And it felt like that unit, that starting unit without them two, had really started to grow some chemistry between themselves. Yeah, they really had. Um, I mean, they were this team was 11 and 13 before this stretch of games that we're talking about. And that was without Bagley and without Fox, and that felt like 
I mean, pretty respectable. And it, and if you lop off the first, the 0 and 5 start, uh, you know, that's a team that went 11 and 8 during that stretch when they were pretty much without their two best players for the majority of it. And, you know, 11 and 8 in the West without your two top guys, that did feel very, very encouraging. And, yeah, now they're down at 12 and 21. Um, and I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know. For me, it was the Minnesota loss. We can, I'll just run down. Since we last recorded, there have been five losses in a row. Uh, 19 to, fi- uh, sorry, 119 to 115 at Memphis, which is rough because they're not a very great basketball team. Then an understandable somewhat 113 to 104 loss at home against the Rockets. Then this is the one that really, I don't know. I think this is the one that broke King's fandom and certainly King's Twitter, the 105 to 104 double overtime loss <laughs> to the Minnesota Timberwolves who had one, who had, excuse me, had lost 11 straight and didn't have Carl Anthony Towns. Right. And without Towns, I mean, that team is, that team's nothing like Gorgie, Gorgie dang. One of the worst contracts in the league was not getting playing time for a lot of the year. Drops 21 and 15 on you. Uh, I mean, yeah, that. And then for the night after you get another matched up with another team on a nice losing streak. I believe Phoenix's was at eight and it was more respectable. You had a chance to win it here, but uh, another team that was just really not doing hot for themselves and in a bad groove and, and uh, Sacramento fails to take advantage of it. Right. I don't, I don't even, I want to talk a little more about the Minnesota game because I didn't, I couldn't, my brain couldn't process what my eyes were seeing. It was so horrific. If you, if I had told you, Brendan, if I had told you the Timberwolves were coming to town, Carl Anthony Towns would not play. Andrew Wiggins would shoot four of 19 Teague would shoot five of 17 and look terrible, look like a G-leaguer. I mean, how much would you have thought that the Kings win that game by? Yeah, I mean, to me, you got to think that that's a that's a 10-point win. But, I mean, I yeah, was I mean, a little more. scared going in, knowing that Sacramento was on this losing streak. I'm like, man, this has a Sacramento loss written all over it, even though it shouldn't. Yeah, well, that's this team, right? I mean, that's this team, and we've – We've been saying that all along, like they will lose every game they're supposed to win and they'll win every game they're supposed to lose. Uh, it's just, and, and we almost saw that again at Denver. So, you know, and getting to your point there that it was a better showing it, it you know, they could have won that game at, on the road against Denver, but um, this Minnesota Timberwolves game, this was the one that there was a lot, of stuff going on in the locker room afterwards, right? This is the one that uh, basically led to Dwayne Dedman requesting uh, a trade. So let's get into this a little bit. Um, I know that he was brought into the game specifically to defend an inbound pass, and he was not happy about that. He was uh, arguing with the coach, arguing with Walton on the sideline as he was brought into the game to do that and cursing and was brought uh, back out immediately and was not happy just to be brought in for that purpose. And then after the game, we see that he, he went out of Sacramento and what are your, what's your first reaction to this? I mean, it's not, 
all too surprising. Like the arguing with the coach on the sideline is obviously unprofessional. You don't like to see that, but I mean, I think that Deadman thinks that he is a good player and he has reason to believe that after his showing last year and probably feels like he wasn't given a fair opportunity to really show that. I mean, it's not the most surprising thing for Deadman to come out and say that to me. But and also one of my first thoughts is that uh, we've said it before, this is one of his lowest values, if not the lowest of his career right now. So it's not a good time for Sacramento to be trying to trade this guy. It's honestly a disaster. If you think about uh, what they spent on him in the offseason and what he was capable of being, we know he's capable of being a good player. Like, we just know that. That's just a fact. We have enough right. proof. It's there. So the Kings, you know, I, I don't know how to apportion the blame if it's on Walton and the way that he used, uh, utilized Deadman. If, if, if it's just Deadman, if Deadman, you know, spent the whole summer with his new money hanging out, not practicing. I don't know. I, I have no idea. It could be all the above. It could be none of the above. It could just be bad luck. Um, you know, there are adjustments that have to be made. New coach, new system, new team, new life. He's moving across the country, all that stuff. But whatever, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who the blame goes to. This is a disaster. To spend that amount of money on a good player and then to have him be this terrible and then to request a trade, I mean, it's a, it's truly a disaster, right? Yeah, it, it really is. And it sucks. I mean, this is the guy that we pinned as our number one option in the offseason. What we thought was a pretty perfect pick next to Bagley, at least in a short term. And yeah, and this Shams report comes out and says... Uh, Coach Luke Walton is believed to have soured on the 30-year-old being Deadman, and the sides believe their union can't be salvaged. Uh, I mean, like, I would have preferred a report coming out saying almost like an ultimatum of play me or trade me, which, you know, it's not that much better, but it, it would mean that there's a chance that Deadman can play himself back into the rotation. Like, it feels like, you know, Carmichael Dave was throwing a couple things out there practically saying that he heard Deadman's time is completely done in Sacramento, which isn't surprising after the Shams report, but it's not like, you know, this, it, it doesn't feel like something that's salvageable where Deadman could uh, work his way back into the rotation. Yeah. Um, the report definitely is coming from Deadman's camp. That's definitely who has been talking to Shamsharania it only makes sense that that's just looking at the way that it's phrased and all that stuff. Uh, you know, obviously the Kings wouldn't, wouldn't leak this out. Um, and yeah, you know, included in there is a note about how multiple teams have interest in Deadman. And even that doesn't really encourage me much because since we know it's coming from the players camp, there's no reason for them not to, right. you know, build that up a little bit. So I don't know. I don't know if there are teams that are, chomping at the bit for Dwayne Dedman's services after what he's done this year and then requested a trade. I mean, like he's playing badly. He's obviously upset with the coach. He's, you know, yelling at his coach on the sideline and he's asking for a trade. That's not an appealing player. His value is as low as it could possibly be outside of him, like losing a leg in some horrific accident. Uh, his, his trade value is dead zero. Right, and at very least, it was released by James Ham that the Kings were not going to uh, apply any pick compensation in 
dumping dead men, which thankfully, I mean, there's no reason to need to do that. And, you know, like some hypothetical to throw out there that somewhat intrigues me and I think could for Dallas as well would just be like straight up for Courtney Lee, who's an expiring deal. I I think the dead men could be a nice fit next to Porzingis, but yeah, I, I mean, that's really what you're looking at. You're really just getting rid of him. You're not getting anything in return. Maybe very best case scenario, you're looking at like what the Kings uh, traded away to get Harrison Barnes. Like if you got some Justin Jackson type guy back, but even then I'm hesitant to think that you would get that. And more more than likely, I mean, would you think you're just kind of looking at an expiring contract here? Yeah, um, I mean, so the Ham uh, report, the Ham article, he said, I believe the way he phrased it was that the Kings aren't going to sacrifice their future to get off Deadman. But I believe, and I don't want to, uh, I, I don't want to misrepresent his words, but I think he was, you know, he also said that the Kings have seven second round picks in the next two drafts, and so. I'm not sure he even meant that they won't give up any picks. I wouldn't be surprised if they give up one of those seven seconds um, because that, that's not going to affect the future of the team, to be to be fair. But, right. um, yeah, I mean, I could see them giving up a pick or two uh, in order to get off of his money because you bring up the Dallas example. Sure, Courtney Lee is a great guy to look at as just, just an example of someone who is getting a chunk of money that matches Deadman this year and is expiring. Um, But I don't really see the Mavericks looking at his contract for next year and being like, man, we really want to pay Dwayne Dedman 13 million next season. So, you know, I mean, does that, there is one team that I see that for. Um, But I mean, does what I'm saying make sense as far as like Dallas, they've got Maxi Klebo, they've got Dwight Powell. They, they both, I mean, they're play, they're good players. Like Dallas likes right. them. I don't think that they want to necessarily bring in a fourth big man for that much money. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I don't know how concerned they are with next year, but then I think the year after. So I, I think that money-wise, Deadman might work okay for them because of that third year, uh, only one million guaranteed of the twelve. But you have a really good point with, I mean, Kleba and um, what is the other big you mentioned? Dwight Powell are both very serviceable fives that they have there. Yeah, I'm working on an article right now about Dwayne Dedman trade destinations, but there's one team that stands out above the rest for me, and it's Charlotte. I think that they don't have any big man that can shoot whatsoever. They're playing Bismack Biombo a ton of minutes. Cody Zeller, who's their starting center, is one of the most injury-prone guys in the league. Uh, I think he played 30 games last year, 40-something the year before that. Um, they've got very little going on in the front court. And, uh, yeah, they could honestly, like, Dwayne Dedman could honestly really help them, even if he's not the elite version of Dedman we've seen in the past. Even if he's, like, 75% of that, he would help them. And Charlotte's in ninth place in the East, and they might actually want to try to make a run at the eighth seed. So, And they got, you know, salary that can match pretty easily. So, for me, the most – the the most likely destination, or I'm not going to say likely, but the, the you know on paper what makes the most sense to me would be something like Deadman for Michael Kidd Gilchrist and a second. 
Yeah, and I mean, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist is a guy that could help this team right now. I, I think that he could help the Kings a little bit short-term uh, because I believe he's expiring, right? He's expiring, and he's very not good at basketball. I'll admit that. But he's at least he's got some defense, a small though. forward. Right, right. I mean, he's out of their rotation, out of the Charlotte's rotation. And, um, yeah, he, he's got some defense on him. He's a six, six guy. He can play either forward position. He's kind of like, you know, if, if Barnes or Ariza were to miss any time, he would legitimately help. So, yeah, I mean, that's to me, if you get MKG and you get a second round pick, it's still a really tough way to end the Dwayne Dedman saga, but, that's the best case scenario that I can see. Right. For where it's at right now. Um, yeah, I think that's interesting. And like you mentioned, Charlotte being surprisingly better than we expected this year and fighting for that playoff spot with Devonte greens or Devonte Graham's emergence. That's interesting. I, I wonder if, because they're one of the very few teams, I think there's only five, uh, five or six with real cap space going into this off season. I wonder how that would impact their thoughts there holding on to then they would be left with about 12 million compared to 24 in off season with that Deadman deal but I don't I mean who are they really going after in this offseason you know I you mentioned they have this big hole at the center spot and if they feel like Deadman can fit that maybe that's as good as any offseason signing they were to get since most teams are not focused on this offseason anyways with there not being a major pool of talent out there Right. Well, that's exactly right. That That's where that's the only downside for them would be to limit a little bit of their ability to spend. But yeah, at the same time, um, they have not been aggressive in the free agency market and this is not a good year for free agents. So I think they could maybe look at that 13 million for Deadman next year and be like, Hey, we would have paid that. We would have paid that if he would have came here. So yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the only one that really works for me. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform they give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. The other bit of news that came out, um, I don't recall if it was the exact same day, but it was Buddy Heald really just vocalizing his hmm, his unhappiness with really just sitting a lot of the end of close games. And it started with sitting the entire fourth quarter of that Houston game and then down the stretch in Minnesota as well. And, I mean, Luke said it was revolving around his defense. And we've said it all year that Buddy really has been a terrible defender here. So what were your thoughts when you first heard Buddy talking about this? Uh, My thoughts were very, you know, just very disappointed because – yeah, he's a terrible defender. Um, sorry, uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. But yeah, like it's true. Over that five-game losing streak that culminated in in that that loss to uh, Minnesota, his 
defensive rating when when on the floor, the Kings' defensive rating was 120 per 100 possessions, and that's really really bad. Um, it was a you know he had a minus 20 on off uh, defensive net rating, so the Kings were much 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 worse with him on the floor during that stretch. And I don't know. I, I what's the one thing that confuses me about it is that. Luke Walton has been saying all year that he's making huge strides as a defender. Right. So maybe Buddy's getting some mixed messages here, and he's being told all the time by his coach he's getting so much better on defense and he's making these steps. And then his coach just benches him because of his defense, and he's like, "What? what happened here? Yeah, that was the weird part to me. And, and I think the – more so of the question mark was what we'd been hearing all year that like, okay, buddy is a really good defender and all this and putting him on Devin Booker and these other players to start games when you have Corey Joseph, De'Aaron Fox next to him. And I, it just would have been, this would have been a little easier if Walton was saying buddy has defensive potential and then maybe you can, uh, discipline him a bit if you feel like he's not executing that potential but I see what you're saying with the potential of mixed messages here and I mean that's certainly uh, what we are seeing from the outside here and I, I think part of the issue with Buddy being so bad defensively I mean it's not any better or worse than it was last season it's just he's not making up for it on the offensive end of this year uh, I mean I do think I will say um, I think his playmaking has been has been an improvement, especially recently. I think I saw it in that Memphis game a good amount. Um, and then, sorry, that Indiana game. And then also most recently, of course, against Denver, he had a career high in assists. I thought he did a great job in that regard. But the shot's not falling for Buddy, and he's forcing a bit at times. So it's not like the offense is making up for the poor defense for him. Right. The offense isn't making up for it anymore. is isn't covering it up anymore. And then the the fact that the team isn't playing fast is really making it more obvious as well because we saw all last year, you know, the Kings were sacrificing defense or, you know, not they were de-emphasizing defense in order to just run and gun offensively. But now when you slow it down, it's going to be all the more obvious because he struggles in, uh, you know, half-court defense. You know, he, he had some... You know, just his speed alone and his effort is going to mean more in transition defense than it will in, in a half-court defensive set, right? And there's going to be less decisions for him to blow on rotations, and he does blow them constantly. Yeah, very often. <laughs> uh, that's just something that you're going to see from Buddy here. And did you did you happen to see that one? Uh, that one play where I, I put it on Twitter, I pulled the video and, and put it on Twitter and it, uh, you know, I had some people, some people, you know, definitely agree with me. And then a few people disagree that it was a bad play. I thought it was a horrific play. Um, it's where he left Malik Beasley completely, completely open, like 20 feet of wide open space. Uh, at the three-point line, and Beasley's a 40% three-point shooter. The ball didn't go in, but he was tagging Miles Plumley, but he was tagging him like from the the backside, where he's probably not even really going to affect the pass anyway. Like best chance he's got on that play is to foul Plumley, and uh, you know, and Rashawn Holmes was on his inside between 
Plumley in the ball. And yeah, he, he definitely got caught flat footed, which is rare for Holmes. And Buddy saw that and tried to help, which is good. But Buddy committed so hard to the help right. that he got caught flat footed just sitting under the bucket where his man is now completely open for three. Yeah, I, I think that Buddy had the right idea in needing to tag Plumley there. He was just late to do it. Like he needed to get in front of him before Plumley rolled. And like you said, he overcommitted after. So, I mean, he has the right idea to him, just got the thought a bit late there. And yeah, I mean, he's not, he has no sort of impact being down low. Um, of very late recovery when it's pretty obvious that it's going to end up back in Beasley, like you said, wide open in a 40% three-point shooter. Um, those are the type of things, I mean, that you just kind of have grown to to see and almost expect from Buddy at times, which sucks to say, but it seems like he has the right idea at times defensively, but it just happens a bit late. And then and then making up for trying to recover is definitely not a strength of Buddy on the defensive end. That's exactly right. I mean, like, so he has the he has the right idea, but like half of it. Where the right idea is, you kind of split the difference. Where you you kind of show to tag, like you kind of come, you know, you go about half you go about half as hard towards Plumley, um, or you you know you dip in there and then you sprint right back out because Holmes right. recovered quickly enough that you know at the last half of that play buddy is just doing nothing he's he's not helping anything um and then yeah like you said so i don't know if you just mean on the defensive possessions but then on offense he tries to make up for it too and he blows a play or he gets basically gets blown by on defense i think that he wants to make up for it on offense and that can lead to him over dribbling, uh, you know, being a little bit too quick with the trigger. And he just, he tries to do a lot of hero ball stuff, um, either to make up for his own defensive lapses or to make up for his own missed shots on offense. It seems like he's constantly trying to get back, whatever, whatever, like he has got too yeah. good of a memory where when he blows a play, um, he's just thinking about it until he, until he hits one. Right. And yeah, it's that I have to make up for it individually rather than doing it within the flow. Um, yeah, I mean, there's times this year where, you know, no Fox, no Bagley, even times of no Bogdanovich where you've kind of needed Buddy to create. And it's just been disappointing that he hasn't been the most effective in that way. But I, I definitely see what you're saying with him really being overly aggressive, almost to make up for these constant defensive mistakes. And I mean, it just isn't going to pay off very well, but he's not a guy that can create his own look. Now, I think I get in this Denver game, I, I don't think I saw that all too often. I was really happy with what Buddy gave the Kings, especially, like I said, that playmaking. I thought him and Fox really kept the offense going in that Denver game. But in general, throughout the year, I mean, Buddy, it, it's really just been really disappointing on both sides of the ball. He, like we said, I mean, for the defense being so bad and him not, making up for it on offense at times, not even feeling like a plus on offense because he is forcing in the way that you're saying is just not what you would hope to see from a guy you just signed to a nice extension. Right. And I don't, I wasn't even happy with his passing in the Denver game. I get it. Like he had a career high eight assist, but assists aren't the best way to calculate 
we know that. Like, we know – I'm trying to remember who it was now, but someone was saying that his sister is the worst stat in basketball. Um, I just for think just he's that making reason, a little bit of different reads, though. Like, I, I think he's making one – And that's fine. Yeah. Like, that's, that's fine. Like, I, I can say progress, but there was also, like – so he had three turnovers, but there was also times where he would dribble the ball off his own foot – and someone else would pick it up. There was one specific that I'm thinking of where he'll, you know, he's got his handle going and he, he drives kind of baseline to the right side and then he loses it off his own foot. And then Rashawn Holmes has to dive to the ground and he gets it and he's right. able to kick it out to Fox from, from the floor or from on his back. And then that, you know, that turns into kind of a four on five and it's all, there's two seconds left and Fox just has to chuck it. Like, that's essentially a buddy turnover. We're not seeing that on the stat line, but there was right. way too much of that for me. Right, yeah, I think that's that's totally fair. There's still times where the decision-making isn't fully there, and, and there was a play also where Sacramento was able to get out in transition. Um, actually, really, it was mainly Buddy got out in transition, and he went up like one-on-four, and he got lucky that, he, that uh, Sacramento ended up getting the ball back, but... Yeah, I mean, there definitely is still decision-making issues from Buddy Heald that we've kind of uh, grown to expect at this point. But I, I think that there has been development for his passing. But, yeah, there's still it, it, I, I a lot left to be you. desired. So I, I totally agree with you. There has been development. There's been improvement. But let me ask you this. Like, is it worth it? Because to me, even though there's development and improvement, you know, developing and improving from one of the worst – <laughs> worst right. facilitators on the team into like maybe like maybe one day he'll get to be kind of league average for a guard passing wise is that worth it or like investing this many poor games is that worth it because can we just i mean he's 27 uh or 28 <laughs> it's so hard to keep track of this dude's age honestly <laughs> uh is it he's 27 so is it worth it for to to kind of try to develop the ball handling and the passing of a 27 year old when he could just be good at what he's good at. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I, I think somewhat, but maybe not to the extent that Sacramento has been. Um, but also I think that they kind of were forced that hand a little bit at times during the year, not so much recently, like with De'Aaron back. Yeah. I, I think that it, that a lot of that should go towards him and I would like to see more of it go towards Bogdanovich and Barnes than Buddy but sure. they've been forced to do that a little bit more than you would hope this year um, but you have a good point I, I don't think that that's something they came into the year saying okay we want Buddy dribbling the ball and really making plays for everyone else as a primary form of offense yeah and Joseph as well I mean Joseph as well he's a very he's, good distributor so yeah, he's it's been really underwhelming to, there for me this year, though. And that's fine, but like we know what he's capable of. I certainly would rather have Corey Joseph set up Buddy than Buddy set up Corey Joseph, right? for goodness sake. And that's what we've seen. We've seen the latter. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you've got Fox, you've got Bogey, you've got Joseph. Like, that's not... In this game, all were healthy. Um, there, You're absolutely right. There's been plenty of games where that's not the case, but when those three guys are healthy, I don't need to see Buddy Heald be point Buddy. 
Yeah, that's totally fair. I, I'm I could go without seeing Point Buddy <laughs> for a good amount of games here. I have no issue with that. So then, I guess uh, I guess we kind of covered it with him. Was there anything else just about these comments he made after the game? Um, he did walk them so back. We know he did. He apologized to the team. Um, Corey Joseph said that he apologized to the team. Luke Walton said that he was impressed that Buddy apologized. But, yeah, I mean, he was really – I don't know. I mean, how do you feel about him talking to the media like that? I mean, should he keep it within his teammates within the locker room? Yeah, I definitely think that he should. But I think Buddy's kind of shown to be a little bit emotional and up and down at times. Like, we saw it with his contract negotiation. He was really upset with that and vocalized it to the media. And then, again, upset with his – lack of playing time, I think it would be better to keep it internal. But, it, you know, I mean, it, it's not a great look, but I don't think any of the guys on the team are really going to take it all too personal. You know, I, my concern would be his and Walton's relationship. But, I, I, yeah, I would prefer to see it be kept uh, within the team. But I, I don't think it's, it's the biggest deal to hear this come out from Buddy. It's um, it's not a good thing. Um, <clears throat> it's not the end of the world. It's not a terrible thing. But um, yeah, I, I, it's it's disappointing because you really can't lose the locker room when a team is twelve and twenty-one. Um, new coach with a four-year contract, a player uh, four-year extension for the GM. Right? Yeah, a player's coach that was supposed to satisfy every, everybody, all the personalities in the locker room. I don't know. It's um, <clears throat> it's not good, but yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. Yeah, you know, on a different guy that I know you have not been the biggest fan of, was there any news on why Ariza did not play in that Phoenix game? In the Phoenix game, Walton said that uh, he was not feeling well. Um, okay. I'm guessing he was kind of referring to like a illness of some sort, but uh, Walton said that Ariza could go. Uh, Ariza told him, you know, I can play, but I'm just not feeling good at all. And uh, so Walton said, all right, well, we'll just, you know, we'll go with James and uh, we'll reevaluate him in a, in a couple of days. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I uh, wasn't sure if there was news I had missed on that one. And then, yeah, in Denver, Ariza didn't play all too much either. I'd be curious to see if his minutes are potentially trending downwards, but he's kind of been up and down throughout the year. Um, I think that obviously more so on the higher side, but be interesting who starts to lose out on some minutes when everybody gets healthy here. And uh, yeah, De'Aaron Fox came back after going out in that Minnesota game with back spasms, but Marvin Bagley still looks like he's going to be out for a couple games here. Right. He uh, had an MRI. We don't, don't think we got anything uh, conclusive on that on the report fox's mri was clean for his hip uh, the back spasms he seemed to play through it had a big old belt on i don't know if you noticed that on the bench but um yeah he seems to be doing all right and then bagley the mri we don't know what came of that but we know he's seeing a foot specialist it looks like a middle of the foot sprain midfoot sprain um are you concerned with the amount of time that Bagley is missing? Uh, it seems to be something that 
pops up again and again, uh, miss time with this or that, you're starting to get worried at all? I'm worried about his lack of development in this year. Like, I think that there's a chance he's really, I mean, he's missed a large portion of this season. It feels like you've hardly seen him. He hasn't been able to get into a groove. So I worry about his development uh, curve and really taking slowing down with missing a majority of this season. But I don't have too many concerns about like long-term injuries keep on popping up because they do feel like they are all something different. Sometimes you can get just get a, a bad hand. And, and I think that Bagley's just been a little unlucky with some of these that happened to him. It, I don't, I mean, there are worries that he could just be a little injury prone, but to me, they're different enough that I don't worry about him just constantly being unavailable and more so about losing this year of development time since he is so raw already. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't know that it's necessarily more uh, encouraging to me that it's all over his body, you know, foot, hand, knee, thumb, uh, you know, back like it. I don't I mean, it's better than it's better than, you know, the same knee blowing out over and over and over again. I agree with that. But so Bagley. Bagby has been able available to play in 114 games. This is from our friend Tim Maxwell. He's been available to play in 114 games. Uh, he's missed two games due to back spasms, 12 games with a sprained knee, six games with a bone bruise, 22 games with a fractured thumb, and now one game at least with a sprained foot. It just seems like a lot. He's, he's you know, uh, Harry Giles has played more games than than Marvin Bagley has he really that is yeah that's an interesting stat yeah I think I just need to see it a little bit more I mean I think you, you can go through some bad stretches I, I do start to have a little bit of worry here but I'm hesitant to label him just injury prone already agreed it's not it's not written in stone yet um, it's not great it's not you know the trend is not ideal um, but then when he's on the court um, I don't know. I don't think that he's helping the team win. I don't either. Um, It's definitely rough with him out there, but you're making that long-term investment with giving him the playing time right now. Um, And in Marvin's absence, we saw Harry Giles play the backup five in this Denver game. Have not seen him for a good while. And there were a couple of Winyan Gabriel minutes in that Phoenix game as well. Yeah. And thank God. Thank God. What (laughs) has happened? Like, this is what, this is my theory about this Denver game is that things have been so bad for so long that just playing Harry Giles in this game has bought the Kings so much goodwill. Like, this was Walton's plan all along was, I'm going to, I'm going to keep, Sacramento's favorite player from them. I'm going to keep their favorite toy on the shelf. And when I look as bad as I possibly can, I'll bring it down and I'll alleviate the pressure from myself because I think all of King's uh, fandom breathe a sigh of relief to see Harry Giles on the court. And yeah, he played, uh, I mean, he put up some nice numbers. He played a little bit rusty, like a guy that is only going to be expected to be rusty, but he played pretty well. I mean, he's, he brings something to the court. We all know it. 
love to see him passing out of the high post. Um, you know, the, the defense still needs a little bit of work. Um, you know, he can be a little bit of a foul machine at times, obviously, but he brings a level of excitement, a level of scoring, a level of passing. It's, it's, it's great to see him. Yeah, it really is. I, I mean, you touched on most of it there. I mean, a lot of it is his his passing that he provides on the offensive end in like the short roll or out of out of the high post, the elbow. Um, that is always really great to see from him. Quick decision making really helps the offense. Um, and yeah, I mean, seventeen minutes for him to get out there. I think you mentioned the the fouls. That's kind of been an issue for Giles. I think just being a high energy guy and not the smartest rotationally on defense quite yet that that's going to happen. There were just a little bit of tic-tac-y ones where he's guarding a guy in the post and put both of his hands on his back uh, where the ref's going to blow that whistle every time. I think that it's a little rough for him getting bodied by a guy like uh, Miles Plumley. But yeah, overall, I mean, to me, like it's nothing that unexpected from Giles, but it still is like, okay, this guy should be getting minutes. Yeah, he definitely should be. There's no team in the NBA that wouldn't give him minutes except for the Sacramento Kings. It's <laughs> it's astonishing. Um, and I absolutely believe that he will be gone from the Kings next year because I think that anyone in their right mind sees him and says, hey, he's worth a one-year, $5 million flyer. Yeah, I mean, why not? And Harry definitely does not have any reason to – stay in Sacramento despite his uh, praise and love for the city that he's not shy about showing. But uh, what else do you got here, man? That's about it. Um, Anything else coming to mind? I mean, we're going to uh, – it'll be a home game, but uh, the Kings are so lucky to face the L.A. Clippers uh, trying to break that. This would be the game they win somehow. Yeah, we all say that, but uh, yeah, uh, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a tough one at home against LA on uh, New Year's Eve. Yeah, this is where they beat the Clippers and then lose to Memphis on the second. That, that's exactly what's gonna happen here. Oh yeah, you owe me a lunch, by the way. I, I do, I do. You totally <laughs> the two straight losses. Uh, anyway, uh, you know, my gift to you for Christmas is to. Uh, uh, don't worry about that. Buy yourself a nice poke <laughs> bowl. But um, I uh, I gotta run. The family's back back home. Came went to the the girls went to the library, but uh, now they gotta go uh, play with their uncle. So Merry Christmas, uh, Happy Holidays to all you guys out there. Hopefully there's a there's a win waiting for you on New Year's Eve. Yeah, there we go. Happy holidays to everyone listening, and uh, no we. We're relaxing a little bit during our own holidays as well, but we'll be back on regular schedule here for the upcoming weeks. So thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse podcast, and you'll hear from us again in the next couple days. I have been fed, that's a fact. I have been fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. 
PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCOA.